Hey everybody, it's Tim Tialdo. Every year, thousands of women retire from the pageant world and begin their professional journey. But most of them try to make the transition without a solid plan. And then they're left with the post-pageant feeling of frustration, depression, and wondering, well, what do I do now? But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I created the Life After the Crown Starter Guide. It's filled with seven essential principles to help you make a successful transition to the real world. Everything from figuring out your why and creating a well-thought-out vision to really figuring out what will be the best path for you personally. There's no need to struggle anymore with not having a path or direction. Let me help you through it. To grab your absolutely free copy of the Life After the Crown Starter Guide, just go to timtialdo.com slash starter guide, type in your email, and I'll send it to you right away. Don't put it off. Now is the time to start preparing for life after pageants, and this guide is a logical first step. So what are you waiting for? Go to my site and grab it free right now. Enjoy today's podcast, everybody. Hey, everybody. This is Candace Pelletier, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now? Or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. Happy to welcome a super unique and successful guest to the show today. She is a former Miss New York, Miss National Sweetheart, and Radio City Rockette. But that is far from all. Listen to this resume. She competed on two seasons of The Amazing Race on CBS. She was a featured coach on an episode of MTV's Made. She appeared in the movie musical The Producers. She danced alongside Hugh Jackman at the Tony Awards. She was immortalized as the Rocket Wax figure in Madame Tussauds' iconic Times Square location. She also appeared with James Gandolfini on the Annie Leibovitz shot cover of Vanity Fair magazine in April of 2007. Now, if all that wasn't enough, she then decided to start her own swimwear company, Candace Pelletier Swimwear, to make women look and feel their best. She is also proud to be part of the 2% of all apparel manufacturers who are made in the USA. Candace Pelletier, you are iconic before I even introduce you. Welcome to the podcast today. Uh, <laughs> that was the best intro I think I've ever had, Tim. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I'm glad thank it helped. You. It's a little confidence booster for all the stuff yes. you've done. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be on with you today. Yeah, well, I, after reading all that, we have a lot to unpack here over the next hour, a lot of stories to talk about. But let, let's just kind of go back to the beginning of pageants, because I, I'd be really interested to know kind of what motivated you uh, to get into pageants. As we mentioned, you were a national sweetheart pageant winner in 2003, and then you competed as Miss New York uh, in the 2006 Miss America pageant. What was that motivation that got you into that whole industry? So I grew up in Georgia. And I come from three generations of dancers. So one of the things that I always loved and a big passion of mine was dancing. And that I think brought me initially to the Miss America system. Um, so 
in the beginning, um, I think it was like 17, 18 years old when I first started competing and it was really just another outlet to perform. And then I think what a lot of girls find is they become almost addicted to the competition and to the whole, you know, vortex of all these things that you're learning <laughs> yep. and you're, you know, you're <laughs> and you just really, and I, and I just kind of started to love it. Um, so as you could tell by my, my resume, I do love, you know, competition, the healthy, friendly competition and, and just that whole thing about, you know, striving to be your best. And it really did push me. Um, so that's, that was the initial, the initial um, drive to pageantry. And then I ended up moving to New York to be a rockhead. And it is such a small niche community that, you know, kind of the Miss New York board or the Miss Manhattan board at the time said, you know, you really should compete again. And when I moved here, I thought I had kind of, you know, changed, you know, changed over a chapter and moved and I ended up uh, competing again. So yeah, in the interim, I was the national sweetheart. I was first runner up to Miss Georgia, then I was national sweetheart, moved to New York, thought I was kind of moving on with, you know, just life, career, college, all that stuff, and then ended up doing it again. So I was first runner-up twice um, before winning the title of Miss New York. Yeah, and I look, there's a lot of girls that get into that position. What? How did you kind of attack it, you know, from a standpoint of your just your motivation and your attitude? I mean, it's it's it can be very difficult to be first runner-up more than once. What, what was your uh, attitude towards, you know, handling that? So I have to be honest with you, Tim. I'm probably <laughs> the poorest Doris loser, <laughs> but I, you know, you know, fast forward 10 years, I can see it from a much different perspective, obviously. And I think one of my biggest regrets is that I just, you know, I am, I do have that competitive drive. So in, in a lot of ways, I wasn't able to enjoy the whole process as much as I should have, you know, and if I were to go back and do it again, I would, I would fill out a little bit, but I, <laughs> I think, you know what, there is a reason that people compete and, and for me, it was, you know, in some way, shape, or form, almost everything that I've done in my life has sort of led back to pageants in some way, which sounds a little silly, but it's, it, it, whether it's a connection or, you know, a referral or just the skill set that I had from, you know, being in, in the whole pageant industry for so long. Um, so I think it was that that just, you know, kept me in the system because it is, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication and a lot of work. So I think when you, when you start, you know, going to school or start your career, it is one of those things that you have to really think about, you know, do I have the time to dedicate to this if I'm going to really try? Well, you competed in Miss Georgia, you mentioned, and then you moved to New York, competed there, won that pageant. But it sounds like the only reason that you really had originally moved to New York was for uh, the fact that you wanted to be a rocket. Is that right? That is correct. So, yes. So I've talked to a lot of, uh, you know, in these pageants, you have a lot of college cheerleaders, a lot of college dance team members, and I, they look at the Rockettes, as I'm sure you did, is it's kind of this iconic thing that you would love to be a part of. Talk about your experience of how you got into it and what it took to actually become a Rocket. Yeah. You know, I have to say it was, you know, just overall picture, you know, the hardest job I've ever had in my life. I mean, <laughs> it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work, but I remember... Um, auditioning for the Rockheads when I was living in Georgia. And the first year I actually did a show in Nashville, Tennessee. They have an outside traveling show. So I did that. Um, and then the following year I flew up to New York and, you know, waited in the line that around Radio City, there's a big line that wraps around the building. So you did the whole process. You know, you go up, you get measured. You have to be five, six, two, five, um, ten and a half. 
and then there's a series of auditions. So you have a tap audition, you have um, a jazz audition, and then a kick line. And then if you make that cut, you come back the next day and they videotape you and then you wait and you just wait and you hope that, you know, there's a spot for you. So a lot of it, like anything is just, um, is there a position in the line for your height and do they need you this year? So there's some turnover, but um, I can talk to you about that a little more later, but basically, so, so that's how it works. So I remember getting a call and I was at the top of my stairs and I got a call, Candace, you know, it was, it was a voicemail. Would you like to, we'd like to offer you a position as a Radio City Rockette. And I remember almost falling down the <laughs> stairs because I was so excited. And my mom looked at me and she's like, you know, Candace, if you're falling down the stairs, you're not going to have your legs for the show. So you're going to be, <laughs> but I was, you know, it was just that excitement. It, I, I, and so it really was one of like the best pieces of news. It, it started me off in New York. Um, I never had to wait a table. Um, I was really lucky to, you know, come here. Um, it was something that helped put me through school. It was just a really great, you know, job and a great group of women to be around, you know, moving from Georgia to New York. So Yeah, and I think in pageants, you know, you get judged. But it sounds like for the Rockettes, yeah. like that judging is taken to a whole new level where it's very fierce, I would imagine. So talk about what was so challenging about being a Rockette. So the Rockettes are the number one precision dance team you know, in the world. And if you've watched the Rockheads on Macy's Day Parade or anything, there is no room for mistakes, you know, mishaps. And so everything from just the way your thumb placement is on your back to your shoulders to the angle of your head or the break of the wrist in your hand, it's just, it's just, it's a lot of pressure as far as the, pre- the precision um, is concerned. So I think, you know, when you grow up dancing, there's not as much focus on the detail. So for this job in particular, it's a lot of detail. And if you, and if you do make a mistake there, it's a big deal. <laughs> so, um, you know, basically you get notes after every show. So there's always someone watching, even after the, you know, the show's begun and you've already gone through your rehearsals, there's always someone continually taking notes just to keep up the integrity of the performances and the shows as the season progresses. So it is, it is a bit of pressure. They keep you on your toes. Well, I know there's a lot of girls who want to do that. And uh, actually, uh, you and I talked to uh, Jane Axoy, I think you remember, a couple of years ago, who, not, who is now on the yeah. University of Tennessee dance team. What is your advice to oh, somebody awesome. who wants to come out for the Rockettes? So, um, so I guess the, the biggest piece of advice is, is if you have an opportunity to see the show, I think it gives you, you know, a real a real glance at what it's about. Um, and, and like I said, just paying attention to those tiny details because that's really what it's about. So I think, you know, when you go into the audition, your nerves are, you know, stirring. So one, you got to go in looking like a rock hat, um, you know, kind of classic, uh, nude tights, high cut leotard, hair back, red lips, bright eyes, you know, ready to go, like come playing the part um, <laughs> as if you already are one. <laughs> you know, that's life in a lot of ways. And then, you just really, you know, getting the choreography, but also watching those details because that's what they're looking for. And, and so if you do have a chance to take a workshop class or anything like that, it helps you relax just a little bit. And you can kind of get the style of what the Rockettes are. Now, there have been a lot of Rockettes over the years. And even when you watch the line on yeah. the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade, there are a lot of girls. Why did you get immortalized as the Madame Tussauds wax figure over all the other girls? You know, I got to tell you, I think the real reason is, so 
Okay, so backing up. So Radio City has their own. <laughs> I'm a little bit all over the place, Tim. Thanks for keeping me focused. No, it's good. So, so the Rockets have their own media team. So, you know, basically they have a PR team that trains you. So if you're on a morning show, you know the bullet points to plug the show or, you know, what, what basically you're going to say. So I had been a Rockette for a few years at this point, and I was also... I also had won the title of Miss New York. And I think it was sort of the validity of, you know, being Miss New York and just everything was kind of happening all at once that I I guess I was just really lucky. But I have to say that I think being involved in the whole pageant system gave me sort of this little edge up as far as the media department was concerned. And those were and they were the ones who chose who get to do what, like what media appearance or in this case being um immortalized which is to be honest the coolest thing that's ever happened it's it was so cool yeah i mean what's that like to walk into the museum and and literally see a wax figure of yourself (laughs) so just um last year i actually or this christmas rather i did a little media takeover thing for them and so i i don't usually go to times square because times square is like the most chaotic place in the city if you've been to New York, mm-hmm. but they put the statue out in front during the holidays. And so it was, it was actually really cool. You know, I walked in and like the people who worked there was like, Oh my gosh, you're the rocket girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it is, and I, looking at it, you know, I, I remember seeing it for the first time and like kind of nitpicking it. And now I'm just like so happy that it's, you know, that it's there. Um, but it's, it's, it's really cool. It was, it was a really big honor. To have that. Well, so dance has been a big part of your background. Now, was the the involvement with the Rockettes what allowed you to do those other things that we talked about, like being a coach on MTV's Made, appearing in the producers and dancing uh, with Hugh Jackman at the Tony Awards? Was that all kind of part of the the Rockette experience? Um, you know what? They were all actually just like separate entities, I'm going to call them. Um, but I think, like I said, I think everything sort of influenced the other thing. And um, for the MTV Made, I was pageant coach. That was obviously my experience with Miss New York, Miss America, Miss Georgia, the National Sweetheart. And then the producer's movie musical was, you know, just basically just an audition in New York. The Tonys with Hugh Jackman was when I was a Rockette. So that was when I was performing as a Rockette. Um, they had the Rockettes were actually doing the opening number with him. And he's still my favorite, you Jackson. I'm always, that's like still one of my favorite moments too. But yeah, like I think, but you kind of hit it, Tim. I think it's a combination of just, you know, dancing and growing up dancing and being serious about that. And then also just my involvement with pageantry um, that gave me these opportunities. Now, what was Hugh Jackman like? Because I've watched a couple of documentaries. He seems like a, a super cool dude. Oh my gosh, he's the nicest guy. So nice um, and so giving to his fellow performers. Um, it, it's funny. He really kind of gives them the show, always looks at, you know, would look at us and like, you know, take a bow. Uh, he's a really stand-up guy. Awesome. Yeah, he's been in the, you, you see him in Wolverine and he's just this raging maniac. And then he's, you know, singing yeah. and dancing in Les Mis. And then he's at the Tony Awards doing the same thing. So it's always interesting to hear what he's really like. It's true. No, he's, he's great. He really is. So let's talk about uh, something that uh, it kind of seems a little out of the box for you, but super interesting. And that is your Vanity Fair magazine cover. Um, with James yeah. Gandolfini, who, you know, of course, is of the Sopranos fame, has now passed on. But uh, Annie Leibovitz is legendary when it comes to photography and having a chance to be shot by her 
um, was super interesting. But I, you know, I saw the cover, yeah. and uh, you're you not did. you're not wearing much. Um, what was that like for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think my dad was too happy about that. I did have on a bodysuit, okay. so if you look really closely, you'll see that just you know just my disclosure on the whole thing. But um, yeah, no, it. Uh, I have to. So it was a you know just kind of a regular audition in New York. And I had had the opportunity to work with Annie Leibovitz before just in a group. Um, she was shooting something for Tony Bennett, and it was something where the Rock Cats came in, and it was a group photo. So I had met her then, and I happened to be in school at NYU at the time. And so I was sitting there, and you know, studying kind of at these, you know, auditions that I would go to because oftentimes you have to wait, you know, to go into the room. So anyways, I... Um, remember on that day I didn't have time to blow dry my hair (laughs) sounds so silly but I was just running around so my hair was curly and I don't really love my hair curly but I was like I gotta go I gotta get there so it's that I think that was really the reason that I got that which is so funny so she showed a photo and they had a stand-in for the audition and it was basically a picture that she had seen while traveling and she wanted us to emulate the pose. So if you've seen it, it's kind of like this girl who's draping across this, you know, this man, this like James Gandolfini in the picture. And um, so I was able to do that, obviously, easy because I was a dancer and had that background. And then I had the crazy curly hair. So <laughs> the next day was the callback. And so the hairdressers, there were three of us, and they were trying to make everybody's hair curly like my hair was the day before. So whatever it was, you know, just being a busy college student happened to work in my favor that day. I got the job. So yeah, (laughs) I have to say Annie Annie Leibovitz is the type of woman that's really, she gets what she wants. Oh, I'm sure. Whether she wants a different pair. Yeah. She wants a different pair of red shoes. There's not enough angst in the photo. Just that photo that we, you know, that, that you saw on the cover. I think it took about two days and it's, we didn't change it up. You know, it was basically the same thing over and over with like a different type of bodysuit or a different shoe or, you know, a slightly different angle of James Gandolfini's head or, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it was actually, it's actually crazy the amount of detail that she puts into her work. And it was really interesting to see that, you know, um, I'm, I, you know what? You, you're making me feel grateful for all these experiences today, Tim. This is great. Well, <laughs> this is hey, hey, hey you've, you. done, you've done a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, I, looking at that uh, very thing, I mean, alone, there's so many cool elements to it. You know, there's James Gandolfini, yeah. who at the time with The Sopranos was a superstar. Annie Leibovitz is a right. legend in photography. Um, and and right. you got to be right in the middle of all that. Uh, but but I got to ask you, you know, when you basically saw that you're, you're not going to be wearing much, did it scare you a little bit of, you know, how it might be perceived? <laughs> Yeah. So I didn't know that this was going to be the cover in the beginning. They just tell you it's going to be part of the magazine. And I heard a little word that they were talking about this. And then I, uh, yes, (laughs) actually, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. And because it was Annie Limbovitz, it's, you know, art. Um, So I had to keep telling myself that as this was going on. But I remember James Gandolfini as we were shooting, he asked me, he's like, so, have you done this before? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just one of those things that, you know, there were times I really had to talk to myself during the whole process just to keep my brain in check (laughs) because this was kind of an out-of-the-box thing for me. It really was. Well, let's let's, uh, continue to talk about some of the other things that you've done. Now, after the pageants were over, 
Um, you appeared along with Miss California on uh, seasons 10 and 11 of the, the Amazing Race. Now, The Amazing Race has been around a long time. At that time, it was incredibly popular on CBS. And you said at the beginning of the podcast that you're a very competitive person. What made you want to go on that show? Were you offered it or was it something you applied for? How did it work? So it was actually right after Miss New York. Um, so I got done with Miss New York and a casting director that I had met a couple years prior when I was in New York getting a dress for a pageant, of course. Um, she followed uh, some of my career and what I was doing. And after Miss America, um, I was top 50 is my, is my joke. Meaning I, I didn't play for Miss America. But she, top 50. But she, yeah, top 50, you know, it sounds better when people ask. So anyways, she had called, yeah. So she had called me and said, you know, would you want to do the show? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, awesome. So then she asked me to pick a partner that, that I would want to go on with. And um, so my roommate at Miss America was Dustin Lee, consulman at the time. Now she's Seltzer, or I'm sorry, now she's, um, she's remarried, but she... She was the most competitive person that I knew at Miss America. And she was actually kind of annoying. She was in the bathroom playing her fiddle at night. And I was like, this girl. You're like those Californians. Yeah. But you know what? I think after that, we sort of had this bond thing. But it's funny, like just how things start out. But I was thinking if I was going to do this show and travel, I would obviously want to win. And who would be a good person for that? And Dustin ended up being, you know, as you, if you saw the show, she was an amazing partner. And so we're really close friends. Um, even still, although she's in California, I'm in New York, still pretty close. Now you have a very unique perspective when it comes to this. And I, I want to, if I could unpack this a little bit, um, where this really stems from is there are so many girls right now um, who I meet at the pageants, I read their bios. They think that if I just either, you know, win the pageant or I can get on a reality show. It's kind of going to be my golden ticket, so to speak, to my career. You had an experience of being on a very popular reality show for two seasons and you placed uh, fourth and second. So it's not like you were in the background. I mean, you were a pretty big deal. Do you feel like it was something that launched your career in any way or was it just something you look back on and say, that was a really good time and I'm glad I did it? You know, I think that's a really good question. I I think it depends on where you are in your life and, and if you know what you want. So I did get the, so the Annie Leibovitz cover that I got, the casting director for that too, was a big fan of us on the reality show. So there, you know, I think things work together where, like I said earlier, it, it leads, there's a, there's, um, whether it's a person that you need or just a recognition, it'll help get you in the door. So I think, you know, going on to seasons of the amazing race, um, allowed me the opportunity to get into the door in a few um, places that I wouldn't have otherwise. We live in a very different time than even a few years, like 10 years ago when I was on the show. I mean, now social media is so strong that I think if you know exactly what you want to do with it, I think it could sort of be a launching pad. For example, I have an act, you know, somewhere an active or a company. If I had been doing that while I was on the show, I think it maybe could have given a little bit of a jump, but it's ultimately up to you what you do with things. I do think that, you know, being Miss New York or being, you know, Miss USA or being whatever it is that you are doing really can open um, the door to get in. But then it's, it's what you want, your personal passions, desires, like then it's you as a person kind of pulling the rest of the way, if that makes sense. How about this? What if you've never won a pageant? You're just 
you know, what we'll call a, a quote unquote nobody. And you think that <laughs> if I if I just get famous by getting on a reality show, I'm going to make it. Would you say to go for that or would you give different advice? No, I um, I would give different advice. <laughs> definitely. I mean, especially because, you know, there there it's so ubiquitous, like, and you know, there's tons of them now. So you have a moment and you have like this little window where you can, you know, make the most of that opportunity. But I think it's, if it's like, you know, like a piece of money that's going to help you to start your life or start your career, then that's, that's, that is exciting and that's helpful. But no, I I don't think that should be the end goal for anyone. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. Very good. So uh, funny thing is here, we've (laughs) talked a half hour and we haven't even gotten into what you're doing and, and have been doing for quite some time that has made you successful. So let's talk about your swimwear brand. Now on your site, you call it the ultimate luxury pageant swimwear brand. How did you come up with this idea in the first place? Was it just sitting around the apartment chatting one day or was it an epiphany you had? So basically my last year as a rockette, I remember sitting in the ice bath after a show and calling my dad after the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's up to six shows a day, right? So your body, you really, I know it's really, when I said it was the hardest job, it really, you know, I didn't realize a rocket, you know, backstage looked like a football locker room where everybody jumps in the ice bath when they're done with a game. You know, yeah, I I never thought about it like that, but that's kind of what, you know, so I have to. Yeah, I'm liking how your brain, I, I wouldn't think like that, Tim, but yes, no, you're exactly right. So it's, yeah, you're, you, you know, there's ice baths, there's PT rooms and, you know, each year, so I did it for five years and each year would get a little bit harder on your body. And I remember calling my dad and was like, I don't know if this is my last year with this. I, you know, my body is just aching. I don't know that I could do this. And I was like, yeah. And I, my mom at the time, she had, you know, made my swimsuits for, for competition, she had made my audition leotard when I was auditioning for the Rockheads, and she was doing custom swimsuits for girls around the country, actually, who were competing. So they would fly to her um, in Georgia. This was when she, she lived in Georgia, and they would, you know, kind of sit there for an hour and they'd chat and they'd do a swimsuit, and you know, it was kind of just something she was doing for fun, and she enjoyed it. And I remember looking at her and being like, you know, mom what are we going to do with this business? <laughs> so, because I saw, <laughs> I know, I saw this, you know, that she was doing this. I was like, there's definitely a need for this. Women are loving this product. And so it was actually after the amazing race that, so maybe that helped me kind of give a little bolt to just figuring things out, you know, because on the amazing race, it's all about like just the journey and figuring things out and where do we go now? And so I actually, um, didn't have like a fashion background. So I just um, figured out where the factories were. I was taking her samples or making prototypes. And then from there, it just grew a little bit at a time. Um, The Miss New York organization gave me the opportunity to do all of the swimsuits for their competition. And that ended up being the business model that I presented to other, you know, state organizations um, just to give this unified look, something that looked classy, that the productions could be proud of, that would really help, you know, push their brand. So yeah, it was one little bit at a time. And then I ended up going back to business school, fashion business school um, a few years later and has, you know, slowly grown from there. But yeah, so, so it's been an adventure. And I think just being, you know, on the amazing race may have given me like a little jolt to 
figure that out. So doing swimwear or, you know, uh, fashion design, so to speak, that was not something as a child or as a little girl that you were like, that's what I want to do someday. No. Isn't that weird? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, think it's, of, I think it's interesting it's how your journey led to it, though. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I was always around it. So like I said, it, it does kind of go back to my mom. I was always around it. Um, she was had a marketing degree and was always making things for us. She made our dance costumes growing up even, you know, way before pageants and was making their tarts for us. And my sister and I both had exceptionally long legs, so nothing would fit. It was before designer jeans. So she was, you know, helping us like just look cool, even though our bodies weren't, you know, the, the norm. So I think it's just, it was, I became a picky child and very well versed in like the whole garment, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to say industry because it was just very, you know, her at home kind of with a sewing machine and us just, you know, my sister and I just saying, mom, we want this or can you change this or can we fix this or how do we make this look better? And then it turned into swimsuits for pageants and costumes and then competition outfits and then, so yeah, so I think I was just around it, but I never thought I would be doing it. Ever, ever. So it's funny how things kind of develop. No doubt about that. Well, you, you've had the brand for quite a few years now. Obviously, you've built a name for yourself. Yeah. I mean, when we say Candace Pelletier Swimwear, I mean, in the pageant world especially, I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of iconic. But I want to go back to, Aww, thank you know, you. you're welcome. You know, when you started as an entrepreneur, you know, you were talking about with your mom, like, what are we going to do with this and how are we going to do it? What are the big challenges that you faced, um, you know, in starting up that company and building it? And how did you overcome them? So I think it is getting your name out there. And even though I was involved in the system for so long, um, it's really just getting people to know that you can deliver, know that you're going to be there. So the interpersonal relationships that I created when I was, you know, in pageantry have been very, very important. And I actually think that's probably one of the biggest things that you have from being involved in the systems, you know, the, you know, that you're, that you're creating these relationships. Um, but even so, I had to show them that I had something that was going to be quality, that the girls were going to like, that I could make sure that, you know, I had my factory situation where everything was going to come out on time, that they were going to fit correctly. So it was very hands-on and it um, required a lot of traveling, a lot of education um, to different girls on why they should be wearing a swimsuit and, and what makes a swimsuit look good on stage. So, so yeah, it was very hands-on, very grassroots in, in the beginning, especially. I mean, in, in some ways it still is. And then I had the opportunity to um, do the swimmer for Miss USA in 2014, which was awesome. And I think that really helped solidify that I was, you know, a reputable brand as far as swimwear, you know, with these girls competing. Well, I know you've had, um, I think, what, seven national winners uh, use your swimwear in the national competition. Yeah. So how did you go about solidifying those relationships and kind of building your brand into the pageant world? So, um, you know what, it's interesting. So I think it was, I would kind of talked a little bit about, you know, having early on had a little mini business model that I applied to things across the country. Um, so we, it, it gave me sort of a tool to just kind of to say this is what I can do in each state. And then I, I think it was reputation, honestly. Um, just, you know, it, as you know, and people who are listening know, it's a very small niche thing, pageants. And it's funny how many people love them in our world, but it's also very small. And so people really do talk to each other. And so um, it, it was really just kind of establishing a reputation that everything went smoothly in one state and then being able to do that in different states. 
Um, and then because of that, I was able to attract some really great competitive women who ended up winning um, in our suit. So yeah, so we, we, you know, we're very proud that we've been able to, to do that and to, you know, kind of be a part of these ladies' journeys. I feel like such a has-been now that I'm saying all this. It's so funny. It's like... <laughs> We're old now. But it's true. We're old. What happens? <laughs> well, you mentioned that it's a small niche, and I, and I, you know, it is a small niche, but I read the other day, and I, I didn't even realize this. Every year in the United States, uh, two and a half million girls compete in pageants, and there are a hundred thousand pageants nationwide. I, I had no idea, so wow. it's it's a it's a little bit bigger than you think it is, it and is certainly, yeah, you're spreading it around is. it. But you've expanded outside yeah, the pageant than the world, outside the Texas, really. That, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is big. You're right. So you've expanded uh, outside no. the pageant world. So let, let me ask you this: um, I know that um, I think on one of the covers of the OK magazine, uh, Denise Richards was actually wearing one of your suits. And then um, not too long ago, you were featured on Fox and Friends, the national one, in the morning uh, for the 70th anniversary of the bikini. I mean, when you are associated with the bikini in that level, um, it it must be nice Uh, to know that you feel like you're doing something right. Yeah. No, you know what? I I feel like I have become a bit of a subject matter expert in the field, and it 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 does feel good. you're right. Thank you for that. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> sure. um, but, but I have fit quite a, I've fit a lot of ladies. So I think traveling and being very hands-on with this has helped in a lot of ways because I really have been able to understand women's bodies and, you know, different parts of the country, which are all different. And so yeah, no, it's been exciting. And then we just recently did start a, um, an activewear line, which is kind of fun too. It's been, it's been growing. It's been growing, Tim. So thank did, you. Did you start the activewear because of the, the kind of the transition that uh, the Miss Universe organization has made with putting the teens in activewear and things like that? Funny, it, it happened simultaneously. I was in a MBA program and, you know, basically in this program, it's talking about how to build your business. And it, it's an awesome thing that FIT supports here in New York for young entrepreneurs, design entrepreneurs, and I was able to be a part of that. It's called F-I-T-D-E-N-Y-C, if anybody is interested in this, because I have to recommend this program. But anywho, so basically, one of, one of my challenges was expanding, you know, my brand and something that I think is, is very similar to swim as far as the fabric and like my understanding of it is also athleisure, which has become extremely popular throughout the country. So the transition where teams and across the country have been wearing activewear kind of happened at the same time. So it was a little bit of luck in that way that this was something, this was a direction that we were wanting to move into and simultaneously, you know, outstanding teams, they need it. And now even on the Miss USA side, they're needing activewear and, Interestingly enough, with Miss America, they're even talking about the swimmer competition and, and where they're going to fall with that in mm-hmm. the coming years. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with all of that. So, you know, we talk a lot about the surface level of this. You know, everybody looks at your brand and says, you know, look at Candace doing all this stuff. She's in the pageant world. She's got a well-known name. Look at her suits, all these kind of things. But I think the thing that most people don't get to see or hear about is the real grunt work that you have to do behind the scenes. So kind of talk about on a daily basis, what your real job is outside of the, you know, the, the headline stuff that everybody sees. I mean, I know you do a lot of work 
um, you know, blue collar type labor, so to speak, behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all glamorous. Kim. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. No, so um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, it is. You know, so we have a couple of factories that we work with right in the New York, New Jersey area here in the U.S., which we're proud of. But I actually do probably once or twice a week, you know, go to the factory just to um, have quality control on the product make sure everything's fitting the way that we want to. And these are small factories here. And yeah, they're, they're not super glamorous. They've got <laughs> there's lots of threads <laughs> and kidding. fabric materials everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's shocking, right? Um, so that's one piece of what I do. The other piece is, you know, sales. And um, that's becoming more of what I do um, a lot of. And then, you know, the development side of things, you know, finding sourcing fabrics and, and that part is fun. Like the creation of act, the actual swimsuit is the fun part. Um, but there is a lot of grunt work. And in, in, in the beginning stages, I was literally moving boxes, you know, taking a bus to New Jersey to check on the factory work, then take a bus to this. I mean, it, I could tell you, you'd be really like, wow. I can imagine. <laughs> so we've, we've, we've come a little bit further than that now, luckily. But yeah, there is, I think if you really want something, you really have to kind of, you have to understand it on all levels, whether that's what you mean, that's how you maintain it. You know, you obviously are going to need help if you keep growing. But in some ways, I'm grateful for being able to see all sides of it because you really understand how the full process works. So you're kind of known as the, you know, the expert or the guru in your space. And so, you know, a lot of girls, when they go to choose a swimsuit, I mean, it's a big deal. There's a lot of body types out there, big hips, skinny hips, long torso, short torso, long legs, short legs. <laughs> you know, what is your kind of process without giving away your trade secrets, obviously, when you sit down with someone to figure out what's going to be best for them? It's all about first impression in swimsuit, especially when you're competing. And so the idea is to create proportion. So there, like you said, there are all different types of body types, but I think when you can create proportion, especially from afar, then you're, then it's, it's drawing to the eye. So it's identifying what kind of body someone has, like you said, whether it's pear, you know, bigger hips or cherry shape, which is a little bit more like you might need a little cut in the front. So I think it's just knowing what your body type is and then going from there, you know, finding whether it's like, like, for example, women with larger chests should probably avoid metallic materials or shiny materials. If you're trying to increase the bus size, obviously, you know, there's push up, but it's, it's finding something with details attracting the eye up. So there are some tricks, smoke and mirrors, as you would, you know, you would call it, but it, it, so it, it's actually kind of fun. Um, and it's kind of fun to find something um, that a woman really feels good in. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of the job is just giving people that confidence because it is, it is a big deal to get up on stage in a swimsuit and, and walk around. So you really have to feel good in what you're wearing. Well, I know you're doing a really good job and you've made a lot of girls very happy. So that's super cool. Hey, before Aww. we go here, thank you. Um, I, I'd yeah. like to kind of, you know, walk away with some real tangible advice for those who are listening. Sure. Um, a lot of girls, they're in some sort of uh, fashion design major or minor, or, you know, they're going to some sort of you know, school like FIT, for instance, if they want to get into, you know, what you're doing or whether it's any kind of fashion, it doesn't have to be swimwear or active wear what would you recommend to them kind of after college? Because as you well know, as I know, ongoing education a lot of times is some of the best education that you ever get. True. Um, so I do think it's that, Tim. It's, it's a combination of education and experience. Um, and I think that if you can get an internship 
somewhere, you're going to really see what, what you like about the fashion business and what you don't. And there are so many majors that you can go into. Um, and there's so many job opportunities within fashion that you can have. So I think getting in on the ground floor and just seeing that is, is probably some of the best advice that I can give because if, you know, obviously to sustain something, to feel really good about it, to move forward in it, you have to have passion for it and it's and there's going to be really hard work in whatever it is but you have to like it overall and so there's a lot of a lot of fashion that is just purely numbers um and that's really important um but but it still kind of has that creative side and then there's some that's more you know that is purely creative um in the design front and so just kind of seeing where where you fit and where you strive i think is is some of the best advice i can give and also that fashion is really hard. <laughs> Just know that going in. Um, it is in retail in general right now, um, as you've seen the shift to, you know, online technology and just how things are moving, things are changing. So just kind of keeping your keeping your finger on what's what's going on and and you'll find a way. But it is but it is an interesting journey. Um, and I think you really kind of have to be resilient. But the pageant training is good for that, for oh, sure. I'm sure it is. Well, let, let's address the elephant in the room real quick because I'm sure a lot of them, as they're listening and you say fashion can be very hard, they're thinking, well, can I make money? Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, you absolutely can make money. Um, it, being an entrepreneur in general, it does take time. So it takes it takes years before, you know, and if you're lucky, then you then you start making money. So I think entrepreneurship, as you know, is, is slightly different than, than getting a job in fashion. Being a doctor or something like that seems more appealing than I would think to go for that because <laughs> because it is because it is a challenge. But you know, it is a, it's a very people person um, profession as well, and it and it does kind of depend on what angle, what part of it you go into. And there's marketing professions that are doing really well. There's a lot of companies um, like G3 that uh, basically they license a bunch of different fashion brands. And that's an interesting thing too, the whole licensing part. So I think it's just kind of finding out what, what you love about fashion and then going for it. And, you, and you'll find a way to make money in it. Well, Candace Pelletier, you are awesome. And what a great example uh, you are to a lot of the young girls out there as to what's possible and what can be done, you know, after getting out of pageants. So uh, thanks so much for the time today and sharing all these fun stories. I mean, it, it feels like we could go on for another hour, but I really appreciate Aww. the time. This has been wonderful, Tim, and I'm so glad that you're doing this show. I think it's a, I think it's really important that, you know, while um, all of these ladies are like striving towards, you know, their goals in pageantry that they're really thinking about their life after. So I'm really happy that they have you for a resource. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks so much again for your time and I uh, hope to chat with you soon and maybe have you back on uh, in the future. Thank you, Tim. I'd love to. Okay. Take care, take care. Candace. Thank you. Bye. Folks, that is today's episode. Thanks to Candace Pelletier for joining me today. And thanks for listening to Life After the Crown. Now, if you like what you just heard, please share it with your friends. Just tell them to go to lifeafterthecrown.com or they can subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes or any of the other podcast apps out there. And by the way, if you have any questions that you'd like answered on one of our future shows or maybe a guest that you'd love to hear me interview, just email me at tim at timtialdo.com or Instagram message me at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Make it a great week, everybody. Everybody.